Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, Indonesia, with the help of Australia, is taking steps to control foot and mouth disease outbreak in that country. The Swine Health Information Centre monitors domestic and global diseases and provides monthly surveillance reports. Centre Associate Director Dr. Megan Niederwerder says foot and mouth disease virus has been on the radar for global detection since May because there has been substantial outbreaks, particularly in Indonesia, where approximately 500,000 animals have been affected. She will talk about the importance of controlling the spread of the disease that can affect cattle and pigs. Saskatchewan's Chief Veterinary Officer issued an animal health order prohibiting the transport of birds to shows, auctions and fairs after several reports of highly pathogenic avian influenza. The disease is carried by migratory birds. The animal health order will remain in place until October 21st when it will be reviewed. Dr. Noel Ritson-Bennett is the Canadian Food Inspection Agency Veterinary Program Manager and part of CFIA's Western Area Response Team for Avian Influenza. He says this month's outbreak was expected following all the reports this spring. After the break, Megan Niederwerder. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Megan Niederwerder is the Swine Health Information Center Associate Director. And uh, we're going to be talking about foot and mouth disease and an outbreak that's been happening globally right now. So, Megan, tell us a little bit of what's happening uh, in Indonesia. So, foot and mouth disease virus has been uh, on our radar for global detection because there have been uh, substantial outbreaks, particularly in Indonesia since uh, May of this year. They have uh, seen quite a few foot and mouth disease virus infections. Approximately 500,000 animals have been infected so far. This is primarily cattle, uh, but there have been also some pigs infected They have uh, started to deploy uh, a strategic vaccine campaign to contain and reduce uh, foot and mouth disease virus spread. So far, they have vaccinated approximately 1.6 million livestock. Australia has taken a, a specific interest in the situation in Indonesia. Why is that? Specifically, we've seen the Australian government really uh, step up to help their neighbors. Of course, there's a close geographic proximity between Indonesia and Australia. They've announced recently that they will be supporting uh, Indonesia with approximately $10 million in biosecurity packages to assist uh, Indonesia in response and also help prepare uh, Australia for uh, potential FMD. So thinking about um, what they've provided specifically Australia to Indonesia has been help with uh, vaccination. Also, Australia has really increased their border protection with regards, again, to that close proximity. So implementing strategies at the border and airports to help prevent uh, the virus from being introduced from Indonesia to Australia. And then also Australia has been focused on their preparation, uh, again, for a potential incursion. But hopefully uh, with Indonesians, with the vaccine campaign, 
currently ongoing in Indonesia, uh, we will see a reduction in those FMD outbreaks. All countries are watching African swine fever very closely as well. Uh, What's the latest on that? We've also seen uh, ASF uh, occur in uh, new herds in Russia over the last month. So we, this was the month, uh, approximately the end of July, we saw the first outbreaks in commercial farms in Russia in 2022. So of course, commercial farms had been previously infected in Russia, but not in 2022. So this is the first time that uh, they had reported commercial outbreaks. We've seen in Russia approximately five premises now affected with ASF in these commercial sites and approximately 25,000 pigs. We also saw uh, some significant news out of Vietnam this month with regards to ASF. Vietnam has temporarily halted the use of the ASF vaccine due to uh, pigs dying post-vaccination. It's This is the vaccine that was initially developed and researched by ARS, USDA here in the U.S., and then was licensed to the National Veterinary Medicine Joint Stock Company, Navetco. They had started producing the vaccine and inoculating pigs with the vaccine to protect from ASF. And what they had seen recently was that in approximately 600 pigs were vaccinated, 100 of them died, and 400 others had adverse reactions. Uh, So the company has deployed a team to the region of Vietnam where they were seeing these reactions and deaths to investigate if the deaths and reactions were truly due to the vaccine usage and its appropriate uh, inoculation or if there is something else that was impacting these pigs outside of the use of the ASF vaccine. I just want to go back to foot and mouth disease and the situation in Indonesia. How much of a concern is this for other parts of the world, particularly in uh, North America? Yeah, so when we think about FMD and uh, the high stability of FMD virus, the, uh, you know, it's non-enveloped, so it has a high stability in the environment. Uh, We know that it can survive well uh, on fomites in in, uh, meat products. So when we think about an outbreak going on in Indonesia and the number of animals affected, the uh, difficulty that they have had in containing the virus, uh, it's been fairly distributed throughout the uh, country and the number of animals affected it increases the risk, of course, to the rest of the world until they get the FMD situation under control in Indonesia. And so the vaccine campaign, of course, will reduce uh, not only the impacts on the animals as far as clinical signs, but of course, uh, the replication of the virus, the environmental contamination, and uh, will hopefully control that outbreak Uh, to reduce the risk to the rest of the world and, of course, reduce the impact uh, to the livestock in Indonesia. With the interruptions of the use of the African swine fever vaccine in Vietnam, what are the hopes for a vaccine for this disease? 
Yeah, so this is concerning because the uh, ASF vaccine has undergone uh, safety and efficacy testing, uh, but this is the first time that it has undergone field usage. And so when we look at how it is utilized in the field, we of course have to think about some variation in uh, or, or investigation into how the vaccine was handled. This is a modified live virus vaccine. And so the virus have to, has to be maintained as live to be effective uh, for protection of the pigs. So that should be investigated, of course, was the vaccine produced and, and used in the fashion by which it has been uh, approved for protocols. So thinking about the handling of the vaccine, the age of the pigs in which they received the vaccine, was there potential for the pigs to have already been exposed to ASF? So could they have died due to ASF as opposed to wild type ASF infection versus uh, an ex a reaction or uh, result of the vaccination? And so these are all questions that really need to be investigated and determined, not only for the uh, release and continued use of the vaccine in Vietnam, but of course thinking about will this vaccine ever be used in other parts of the world and what is its safety and efficacy in field conditions with large numbers of pigs. And so uh, we will continue to monitor this as the information is gathered the and the data is released to try and further understand if this was truly a reaction to the vaccine in and it was used in its approved form and protocol versus uh, something occurring in the field that was inconsistent with how the vaccine should be used. Megan, any final thoughts? Anytime that anyone needs any additional information, of course, there there is more detail in our global and domestic disease reports. Uh, those can be downloaded in PDF form on the swinehealth.org website. And then if with regards to the domestic disease response and the swine disease reporting system, there is a day-to-day -day dashboard that is constantly updated that may be able to provide anyone uh, additional information and real-time surveillance with regards to endemic diseases. That was Dr. Megan Niederwerder, who is with the Swine Health Information Center. After the break, Noel Ritson-Bennett with CFIA will discuss the response to avian influenza. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Noel Ritson-Bennett is part of the CFIA's Western Area Response Team for Avian Influenza. Uh, we're going to talk at length about what's happening, and you can provide us with an update on some of the cases that uh, we've had so far. But uh, I guess first and foremost, it hasn't been a surprise that avian influenza has flared up again? Personally, we did expect that we would see an increase in the incidence of, of outbreaks in Saskatchewan and, and throughout the country as those birds, again, make their journey to their winter nesting sites. So again, there's just more opportunity for exposure as, as the migratory birds are moving from north to south. What are you seeing as far as cases um, on the prairies? 
since the the spring, we've seen uh, up until September 22, we've seen 17 premises in Saskatchewan that have been infected with avian influenza. That represents approximately 315,000 uh, domestic birds that have died or, or been humanely euthanized from the virus. Across the country, we have seen upwards of 136 infected premises, and that represents approximately 2.7 million birds that have been affected. Since last December, we've seen outbreaks in every province with the exception of Prince Edward Island. What about Alberta? It appears to be the hotspot right now. Alberta certainly is uh, bearing the brunt of cases right now in Canada. We've seen several cases recently in the past couple of weeks, so it, it really is bearing the, the brunt of infections. Is this a virus that just comes out of the blue, or do you have any advance warning that, that it is uh, making its way uh, across the country? So generally speaking, avian influenza is a virus that it does circulate amongst uh, wild birds, and in particular waterfowl around the globe, and, and it does cycle throughout. We do typically see cases periodically. Often they're geographically isolated, and that's been the case in the past. We, for example, we, we often see... Cases of avian influenza pop up every three or four years. In, in particular, British Columbia seems to be the province in Canada that, that is most often uh, affected. But in this instance, we've seen it, again, as, as mentioned before, in a wide geographic region uh, throughout North America. But they're also experiencing infections throughout Europe and in Africa as well. It is normal for the virus to be within migratory birds. But this virus does appear to have a very high mortality rate, and it's having an impact on wild birds as well as our domestic birds. We hear about the cases in commercial or backyard flocks, but are you you able to track uh, wild bird populations and how they have been impacted? There are programs in place for people to report dead birds. Um, the CFIA, it's, it's not our mandate, so those programs are in place typically through provincial wildlife organizations or, or provincial ministries. From the preventative side, I, I guess uh, trying to protect the uh, domestic flocks, does that mean keeping them inside? Our messaging to our industry partners as well as backyard producers that to, to strengthen their biosecurity to try to make sure that, that there's less opportunity for exposure, especially to outdoor birds. So if at all possible, that you know, remain their birds inside. I understand that can be difficult for some in some situations, but there does seem to be one of the biggest risk factors is exposure to outdoor birds for sure. Have there been cases of avian influenza uh, in a domestic flock that that are inside all the time? Yes. Is the speculation then that uh, the disease was brought in by humans? Certainly there's there's opportunity for form white transition or so people that are moving into barns, there's maybe possibility for the virus to get in via ventilation systems potentially if there's if there's wild again, there's wild birds in the area, etc. It's really hard to specifically pinpoint where that's happening. But again, our, our best defense at this point in time is just to try and, and maintain the highest biosecurity possible. Is there any way of knowing if uh, avian flu is going to continue to be a problem next spring, next fall? Is there any way of uh, predicting that? It's really hard to predict. I certainly hope not, but it, obviously the, the virus is amongst waterfowl, and so there would be the potential for that exposure. I think like anything is, we have more of those waterfowl that are, are exposed to the virus and survive and, and are less likely to be shedding virus and hopefully the the amount of uh, availability or just a 
you know, local spread of virus will be lessened. And so I would hope that as we get through this fall, that hopefully when we get on the other side into next year, things will be a little bit quieter. But again, that's just speculation at this point. Are you in contact with your counterparts in the United States to see what's happening there? Yes, we are. And, and the, the Americans are experiencing a very uh, intense outbreak throughout. I think there's last I heard, maybe 40 or 50 states were, were dealing with uh, influenza infections as well. Anything else that we should know? If people are looking for more information or for biosecurity details, they, they can find them on our website, uh, www.inspection.gc.ca. Dr. Noel Ritson-Bennett is the Canadian Food Inspection Agency Veterinary Response Manager for the Western Area Response Team for Avian Influenza. This is the Agriculture News and Review for the week of September 26, 2022. The International Grains Council expecting world wheat production to reach 792 million tons in 2022-23. That is 10 million tons more than last year and 14 million above the prior estimate. Global wheat consumption remains relatively unchanged with an increase in world-ending stocks. Marlena Borsch with Mercantile Consulting Ventures concerned about Canadian rail companies' willingness to move enough grain by increasing labour and car supplies. This year's crop will be 60% larger than the drought-reduced 2021 crop. Borsch notes that CN and CP have not been clear on their readiness for the upcoming months, especially this winter. The Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan will have an extra 10 student seats next year in an effort to address the shortage of large animal veterinarians in rural areas. The provinces of Saskatchewan and Manitoba are each subsidizing five new seats at a total cost of $539,000 next year. That will rise to $2.2 million by 2026-27. Saskatchewan will have 25 subsidized seats, with three having a special focus on students interested in working with large animals like cattle and horses. Farm Credit Canada is working with Indigenous peoples to expand agricultural ventures, both large and small. Accessing capital from banks has been a major challenge for First Nations, and Farm Credit Canada wants to make the process easier. Director of Indigenous Relations with FCC, Sean Sunius, says it's important to have a flexible definition of agriculture for Indigenous customers. He said Farm Credit Canada will be offering small and large loans to Indigenous customers. The G20 Agriculture Minister's meeting concluded in Indonesia with ongoing support for Ukraine. Agriculture and Agri-Food Minister Marie-Claude Bebo said Canada condemns the Russian invasion and the need to address the impacts on supply chains and food prices. Bebo also said the government will continue to work towards a response to global food security concerns, allowing for Canadian producers and processors to bring more of their products to a global market. Canada has a new ambassador to China. Prime Minister Trudeau has announced the appointment of Jennifer May to the post in Beijing. May has worked with Global Affairs Canada since 1990. She will be stepping into the job left vacant following Dominic Barton's resignation in December. She will be Canada's first female ambassador to China. Canada's agri-food and seafood exports to China are valued at $9.4 billion. New amendments to the Immigration and Refugee Protection Regulations have now taken effect. The 13 new amendments include measures to strengthen protections for temporary foreign workers. 
Employers must provide TWFs with information about their rights in Canada, prohibit employers from charging recruitment fees to workers, and ensure there are no actions against workers who come forward with complaints. Employers using the TFW program are also required to provide private health insurance when needed. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.